We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. As we continue our journey through this amazing book, we come to now um, what I would consider to be one of the Ah, man, one of the toughest chapters in all the Bible. It just breaks your heart, you know, to see what ends up happening. Um, and we're learning a lot of lessons through the life of David. And, uh, and you know, one of the things that we see today, and I think it's a real practical lesson, is how, how devastating it is when we fail um, as, a, as a father, as a parent. Now, one of the things that I got to make sure that I make clear is that these studies are not intended to condemn you for your past. I mean, you know, thank God for his grace. And you know what? Sometimes, man, the Lord is able to take those things and just in, in, in a way bring success through the back door. And so don't beat yourself up for the past. But it is intended to to really uh, give us wisdom for the future, you know, um, especially as parents. I, I think that we understand, I know that I'm reminded constantly how important my role as a parent is. And, uh, I, and, I, and I think you guys know this. I love you. And uh, I, I thank God for being involved in the ministry. But I know that my greater responsibility is my family. And in a split second, if I had to, to change, you know, if I had to choose, so to speak, I, I think you guys know that I would choose, you know, my family, not over God, but over what we might consider to be, you know, the ministry. And so, you know, our, our kids are going through things. And I just want to encourage you as parents to know how vital it is that you don't neglect them but that you spend time with them and that you ask God for wisdom and raising them in the ways of the Lord, not in a legalistic relationship with God. You know, because that would probably be one of the worst things you can do to them to where they end up in a legal relationship with God because that's going to turn them off, but in a loving relationship with God. And, uh, and that takes a lot of prayer, a lot of wisdom. Um, and so... What ended up happening with David, and we've gone over this story, but just to reiterate the fact is that he neglected his son Absalom big time. He didn't spend time with him. Um, he didn't discipline him. And as a result of that, uh, you know, it was crazy. Even when he got restored back into the kingdom, David didn't see him. You know, they didn't hang out together. They didn't have that relationship. And so in the end, we know that Absalom ends up rebelling. And that's what our kids will do a lot of times is they will rebel because they know that there's not that love. And so why why should I listen? You know, when your kids know that you love them, when they really know that you love them, and there's a greater hope there. Of course, every child has to make their decision. But in this case, what ends up happening is he's rebelled against David. And in the end, we're going to see that that Absalom dies, that Absalom dies. Now, I'm not blaming it all on David. I know that Absalom had his free will, but, you know, for us as parents, it's a lesson that we need to seize the opportunity to love our children with the love of God and spend that quality time with them, not neglect them, finding out what their needs are. Because every child is different. Every single child is different. And you got to kind of get to know, okay, this is where they are, and then just meet them there. 
and praying that God would use you in their lives. You know, we're going to see that lesson as we go through. I pray that we would take it to heart. I know that myself as a father, I still have my daughter. And, you know, even though she's an adult, you know, I'm like, well, what, who says she's an adult? You know, and she probably says, well, I'm an adult. And yeah, she is. But the world says when you turn 18, it's almost like some Christian parents, they think, well, now that my child's 18 years old, then they have, you know, their, their you know, freedom to do whatever they want. And I don't think that's, you know, biblical. I think that as long as they're under your roof and, you know, you just, you ask God to lead you and guide you and just, you know, do what you can, you know, but um, I have my daughter, I have my son, and I still have a lot of praying to do. I think, man, probably now more than ever, you know, and I guess that never changes, but I'm really, when I'm going through this section right here, I'm really taking these things to heart, and I pray that you would also. And so we're going to, touch on those things. And I think another thing that we see is David is a picture of Christ, right? And so if we can take that and then and then kind of go through our chapter this evening, understanding that that David, you know, doesn't want Absalom to die. He doesn't. Even though Absalom has done these horrible things, Absalom wants his dad dead. Absalom, you know, usurped the authority. He stole the hearts of the people. You know, he, uh, he, you know, goes to Jerusalem. He sleeps with his father's concubines in the, on the rooftop for everyone to see. And now he, he musters up an entire army to go and to kill his father. But, but David doesn't want him to die. And you know who that's a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus. That even though we have done all the wicked things that we've done, you know that the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that while we were his enemies, he died for us. You see um, that picture right there. And I know that we're Christians and we, a lot of times we're like, well, we don't, you know, Jesus isn't on the cross. And it's true, he's not on the cross anymore. But I pray that when you read the Bible, that that would be the loudest message you hear about God's love, about what God has done for you about the cross of Jesus Christ, that unconditional love that he has for you, about what he's done, and not what, what you got to do. Because I think that what happens a lot of times in, in Christianity is they kind of flip it and it becomes backward. And it seems like, well, once they get saved, that now the loudest message that they hear or that they are engaged in or that they're living in is what I have to do. I got to do this and I got to do that. And before you know it, you've got a bunch of rules and regulations and you don't have this loving relationship. You know, when you go and when you win your friends to Christ, is it going to be your rules and regulations that win your friends to Christ? You know, one of those going to win your friends to Christ is the amazing love that they see in your life. I'm not saying it's always nice and pretty, but I'm just saying that it's this love of the cross that your friends need to hear. And so, you know, David is such a great picture of that. We're going to see that right now fleshed out in the sense that even though his son is rebelling against him, he wants him to live. And we know that when it comes to life as, as Christians and for us in the world today, some will live because of that love, but some won't, huh? most won't. And we're going to see that Absalom is then a picture 
of the non-believer, who even though his father loved him, he ends up dying in his sins. And it breaks the heart of God. And so anyways, let's pick up the story here in Second Samuel chapter 18 in verse 1. It says, And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab and one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, You shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not care about us, nor if half of us die Will they care about us? But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are now more help to us in the city. And the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. And so the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the commands, captains orders concerning Absalom. And so I know for some of you here, we kind of picked it up in the middle of the story. But, you know, uh, what had happened was Absalom rebelled. He stole the hearts of the guys and the men, the elders of Israel there at the gate. And so what ended up happening is they mustered up a rebellion and they came and they, you know, came into Jerusalem. David flees. They're now on the other side of the Jordan. And what ended up happening was Absalom gathered the, the army of Israel. And there's this a grip of men, probably, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe at least a hundred thousand men. And they come against David. Now, David is on the other side of the Jordan. He's got his army. We don't know how big it is. But now it's kind of like it's time to fight, right? It's time to fight. And so we, we see what happens here in verse 1. And, and it's kind of interesting. You know, we know there's no doubt that David was gifted as a soldier, right? It's a super, it was a supernatural gift that God had given him as a warrior, right? As a warrior, a man of war, right? And so, you know, here we see he organizes his army, into captains of hundreds, captains of thousands. He then divides the army into three sections under the leadership of three mighty men, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, right? And, 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 and it's kind of cool in looking at that, that organization is so important to win the war. You know, our life must be organized. Our family must be organized. Our church must be organized. You know, there are some people who cringe at organization in the church. They, they don't like leaders. They don't want to follow. They don't like guidelines. They don't like deadlines, right? But even though the church is different than the world entities and that it's a living organism, we need to remember that even a living organism has organization. And the church, you guys, you guys know this, huh? We are in a war, right? We know that. And so we need to agonize in prayer and we need to organize with wisdom, right? And then here we see David has that wisdom to be able to do that. Now, now one of the things that we're, we're probably not sure that he should have done and, and probably would have better for him is he says right there, look, it says, um, 
where is that out in verse two at the end the king said to the people i also will surely go out with you myself and so he has the wisdom to organize things and to kind of get it structured out there but this is probably an area where he was making a mistake david should have known that it would have been better for him to stay behind you know he was in a walled city right but perhaps he was still reeling from what had happened last time he didn't go out to battle and he fell with Bathsheba. Remember that? And I just thank God, though, for the people here. The people came forward with their wisdom to protect their leader and in the process protect their country. You know, I think deep down inside, David knew they were right. And so what did he do? He followed their advice. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go over to 2 Samuel 21, let's go there real quick. We see something similar in verse 15. It says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and, and David grew faint. He started getting tired. Then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now, you know, it's it's kind of a tough balance. You know, we saw the the, the what happened when David should have gone out to battle and he didn't and he fell with Bathsheba. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to know the, what the scriptures say. I believe it's Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Strike the shepherd and you will scatter the sheep. You guys know that principle, huh? And, and here we see, I think these guys are realizing that. You know what, David? It's time for you. He's getting older. Uh, how many of you guys are getting older would say you're slowing down a little bit? Some of you that are honest, right? <laughs> I'm trying my best to stay in shape. And it was kind of funny. The other day I was by my truck and I, t I looked at my son, Aaron. I said, Aaron, how old am I? He's all, he's all, dad, you're 46. I'm all, watch this. And then I just jumped in the truck, right? Boom. I'm like, I could still do that by the grace of God, right? But I want to tell him I had just like broken my back. No, <laughs> no I'm just joking. I, I mean, you know, we're getting older and, you know, things change. But but I don't know. I don't want to. I don't. There there. For those of you that are leaders, you're a target. Husbands, ministry leaders. You know those involved in leadership to some form. You're a target because if he can get the leader off, then it affects all those around them. These guys knew that. David says, "I'll go out there and fight," and they said, "No, no, no. You stay back here because all they want is is for you to die." And and so you stay here. David says, okay, uh, I'll, I'll listen to you. And we see later on it becomes something a little bit more permanent. You know, it's interesting here in verse 5 again, we read something that's very important, and that is for the captains to deal gently with Absalom. As a matter of fact, we read right here that when he gave this command in verse 5, all the people heard when the king gave this command. And so it was important here. And I think that what David wanted 
was for them to just capture Absalom. Don't kill him. Just just capture him, right? And so they go out to war. And we read in verse 6. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And so they go out, and if you could visualize the map, I know some of you know a little bit, it's just on the right side of the Jordan there, you see Gilead, and you see a very thickly wooded area. Have you guys seen the movies? Or maybe you've been to places like that, you know? And just, you know, trees everywhere, things are dangerous. But more than likely, it's not just the woods. We know this, that it was the Lord. It was the Lord who had given victory to David's men, even though David's men were vastly outnumbered, right? I mean, David's army was definitely outnumbered, if you just count the men, but when you factor in the Lord, Absalom's army here, identified as the people of Israel in all reality, they were the ones outnumbered, right? Because when the Lord's on your side, tell you what, man, they don't have a chance. What does the Bible say? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? And that's what ends up happening here. The people of Israel were overthrown. There was a great slaughter. Think about this. 20,000 men died that day. The battle was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and God gave them a great victory. You know, and there's a lot of lessons here. You know, it's important for us to remember that numbers are never the deciding factor. Now, we read earlier about how Jonathan knew this. If you remember back in 1 Samuel, look at chapter 14. In 1 Samuel chapter 14. Look what it says in verse, verse 6. It says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Notice, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Isn't that cool? You know, Jonathan there, he just he, he picked a fight. He started a fight because God was with him. Jonathan had such great faith. I, I love this guy. And he had it in his heart. And, and really, and I, and I think the most important thing is this, that, that we know that whatever the challenge is in life, and we have many challenges, and I pray that, that you guys are really praying over your challenges, and you're bringing them to the Lord, and you're fasting, that because you know that it's the Lord who will give you the victory, right? That's what Jonathan was saying. It doesn't matter if there's many, yeah, God can do it. It doesn't matter if there's few, God can do it. But with the Lord, you know, that's where we will get the victory. Numbers are not the determining factor. 
the only factor is the Lord. You know, I think when there's numbers, what ends up happening is we put our, our dependence on what? On numbers. And not the Lord. I remember talking to one pastor of a big church, real, real big church. He was one of the assistants there. And he said, you know what? We've had our ups and we've had our downs. We've had times where the bank is just, it's just filled with money. And we've had a lot of times where there was hardly any money. And we were just barely, barely making it, barely squeaking by. And you want to know what this, this pastor said? He said, I preferred the times when we were just barely squeaking by. He says, because you want to know where we were, Manny? We were on our knees. We were on our knees praying. You know, and I'm not saying it's always going to be like that, but it's just something like when you have a lot, a lot, you know, a lot of people or a lot of money or whatever, you know, a lot of times you're not there where you need to be. And then it's so cool that when, when God, when God just comes through and, and God just, he just saves the day, right? Cause there's a deeper work that he wants to do. You see, numbers are not the determining factor. David knew that in the beginning, and he never forgot that the Lord is the determining factor. Uh, one of my greatest, you know, favorite stories is when David slew Goliath, remember, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And when he spoke to Goliath, this nine-foot guy, I mean, just huge, huge man, and here's this little kid, ruddy-looking. The whole army is just watching. Nobody's doing anything. Nobody, not even King Saul, who stood head and shoulders above the rest. Nobody's doing anything. It's just kind of like the status quo of things are just happening, right? And here's this guy every single day defying the Lord, defying the armies of the, of the Lord. And then David, he gets his five stones. He gets his little sh- sling. And he, and, he, and he starts, you know, going out to the battlefield. Goliath is like, what's up with this? You guys are sending me this little dead dog? I mean, give me a break, right? He thinks he's got the, the battle taken care of. And David just tells him, just straight out, what's in his heart. David says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, here's the reason, here's the reason that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and with spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You see, and we got to come to that place where we know the battle is the Lord's. And I know when the battle is the Lord's, it makes me pray. And I know that when the battle is the Lord's, it makes me trust. I trust him. Lord, if it's your will, I pray that whatever, you know, you pay my, my mortgage. And, and it's so cool. Sometimes the Lord will, will provide. But, but if he doesn't pay your mortgage, is he still the Lord? And, and will you, will you trust him? Because I guarantee you this, if he doesn't pay your mortgage for whatever reason, and I know it's hard to believe, but that means he's got something better. I know that's hard, but see, that's the way it is with the Lord, because the battle is the Lord's. And everything, we come and we're like, Lord, please take care of this, and my kid, this, and whatever the things are, and God is just saying, wait, wait. You know, I was talking to one brother today, and I was just talking about how preparation is so important. And, 
and, and for us to know how timing is important. And we want things to happen now, right? Amen? But you know, the Lord says, no, you know what? In five more years, if you wait like five more years or three more years or whatever, your son still has to go through this or your daughter still has to go through that for the long term, whatever it is, God says, my timing is better than your timing. But you just got to keep praying and you got to keep trusting. You got to know that the, the battle is the Lord's. You know, the other day it was kind of funny. I'll share this story with you. It's a little, little, like a little, uh, little, you know, glimpse of, of how awesome God is. You know, and, uh, the other day my son, he lost his iPod. He lost his iPod. Okay. He tried to blame it on Shelly. Okay. When that didn't work, he tried to blame it on me. Okay. Don't tell him I told you this, you know. And so there's a little drama going on in the house. My son, he loves music. He loves classical music and, you know, uh, just, you know, he'll listen to studies and really he doesn't use the iPod for much more than studying the Bible, you know, looking up things in the Greek. He's so funny or, or whatever, um, listening to his music. And, uh, and so anyways, um, he, he lost it. And so what ended up happening is just, you know, a real quick prayer went up. Lord, you know, um, um, I, I, Lord, where's his iPod? You know, Lord, you know, sh- and, I, and I've learned that. You can ask the Lord, I lost my keys, I lost my dog. You can tell him, ask him anything, right? And and so what ended up happening? I know you guys, it's okay if you don't believe me, but I'm going to tell you this anyways. I sat down on my computer, and uh, and I got a, all the, when I sat down on my computer, I got a mental image. I got a visual picture of exactly where his iPod was. Okay, now when I got this little picture in my mind, I just said, nah, it's not the Lord. It's just my imagination, right? And I started, I was doing the little devotional for the, the church email thing. And then the Lord said, like, what's up? I mean, you don't think I can do that or what? And I just said, oh, okay, well, I'll go check. And I, I'm serious. You can ask my wife and my son. They're witnesses. I just, I just beelined right to exactly where I, the Lord gave me a picture that it was against the wall underneath the bed. And it was lying sideways. And I went, pulled the bed out, picked it up, and I just told Aaron, glory to God, you know? Now, is that anything special about me? Absolutely not. No way, because I am the worst sinner of all. All you guys, I'm much worse. But I'm telling you that it's a revelation of of our God who cares about my son and my son's iPod, (laughs) and me, and my wife, and you, and all the things you're going through. I mean, there's, there's no one here that he doesn't know everything about you. And if he wants to give you a mental, visual, fine, that's cool. But you know what? I mean, I don't think that normally happens, you know? That'll probably be the only time it happens in my life. I don't know. But it, it's the main message is not, you know, anything other than God knows exactly what's going on and the battle is the lord's it's the lord's and so you make sure you pray and you make sure you trust and when god wants to give you victory no one can stop it absolutely no one can and so you know here they are they were so outnumbered but they got the victory the the woods devoured more people than the sword did 
And so what ends up happening now in verse 9, it says, And then Absalom met the servants of David and Absalom. Now, now we're talking about Absalom now. Absalom rolled on, rode on a mule. And the mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. So Joab said to the man who told him, You just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt. Some people say maybe Joab had already put out like a little bounty. Hey, if anybody gets him, I'll give this to you. We don't know for sure. But anyways, the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai saying, Beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life, but there was nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. I think this guy was right, man. And so anyways, it says, Joab said, I can't linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and he thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. You know, I don't know why he was on a mule and I don't know how he got caught in a tree. Um, but some people say that maybe it was his hair. You guys know that Absalom was really proud of his hair, right? Beautiful hair, thick hair, you know. And it was, who knows, maybe it was that one thing that he was so proud of that ended up being his downfall. I mean, the Bible doesn't say it. It says his head. And so I'm thinking maybe he had a big head too, you know. <laughs> All I know is that he got caught there. And there he is dangling, you know, in the air. Now, one of the guys sees it. He reports it to Joab, who tells him, you should have killed him. What's wrong with you? But the guy says, hey, I know better than that. No way. Even if you were giving me a thousand shekels of silver, I wouldn't have done that because I know it had reached the ears of David and it resulted in my certain death. Joab, you know you would even come against me. And the guy, I think, was right. And so what happens? Joab says, I don't have any more time for this. He goes and boom, three spears. Boom. And Absalom's heart. Boom. And Absalom, the one who had stolen the hearts of the men, now has his heart thrust through by Joab, right? Then the armor bearers surround him and they finish him off. Now, I don't know, you know, I was reading this right here and I was thinking, like, if that was you, if you were one of the soldiers, would you have killed Absalom? Some of you here would have done it in without blinking an eye, right? Any of you here like that? Oh, yeah, I would have killed him right away. I would have killed him. And that's okay because that's how you are. <laughs> that's how God made you. And you know the end of the story, and some of you are just like, boom, that's who I am, right? And others of you, I think, would have probably captured him, respecting the commands of the king, for one, and giving compassion to him, right? Some of you are probably like that, right? Some of you softies, right? We're all different, and I have learned to embrace different types of people in the church, right? And then there are some of you here, and I know how you are. You don't know what you would have done, right? Some of you, you're hard, it's hard for you to make decisions. 
right? Life gets complicated like that. I know it's a tough balance. Warren Worsby said, we can understand a father's concern for his son, but there's no gentleness when it comes to dealing with sin. See, when it comes to dealing with sin, we've got to know the difference. David wanted love without justice, but Joab wanted justice without love. It's hard to find that balance. In this case, I'm pretty sure that Joab was right. Joab knew both David and Absalom, and he knew that Absalom had gone beyond the point of no return, that there would never be repentance, that Absalom would never be content without the crown. Joab knew that Absalom was the epitome of sin. And let me tell you guys this, and this is just a, a black and white truth, that sin should never be allowed to live in our life. If you mess around with it and you, you know, coddle it, then that sin that you're playing games with, that sin will eventually kill you. That goes for all of us here, myself included. You know, if there's areas, especially if there's areas of your life that you've been messing around with, there are areas of of your life that you know you've had and, and you're just, for a long time, it's been there and you just won't kill it. If you don't kill it, one day it will kill you. And Saul's a real good example of that. When God commanded Saul to kill the Amalekites, he didn't. You guys know, right? And he left you know, the best of the cattle and the sheep. I'm saying the people made me do it. We're going to offer it up to God. But then of all things, he allowed the king to live. You know what that tells me? That tells me he probably was soft and allowed other Amalekites to live. And eventually, when Saul died, eventually, what was the final reason? You guys know that an Amalekite killed him. And that's why we can't allow sin to live in our life. See, what we find is that will eventually kill us. And we see that whole story in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. You see, Absalom had to be killed. And at the same time, it's important for us to know that he was responsible for his own death. You guys know Romans 6.23? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's death. How many of us here today would be dead <laughs> were it not for the grace of God, right? If we had continued on that course. John Corson said, whenever you or I attempt to rebel or manipulate, whenever we seek our own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God, the result will always be death. Don't rebel. Don't manipulate. Don't play with sin because then we're going to have to pay some heavy wages like Absalom. It's so sad. Look what we read in verse 16. So Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel for Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled away to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, or a monument for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day it is called Absalom's monument. And so what a, what a crazy way to die. Pierce himself. Three times in the heart, the armor bearers come, finish him off. They take him and they throw him in a pit. 
And then they just cover him with a whole bunch of stones. That's how he ends up dying. That's his end. Now, to me, I think it's interesting how we read in Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, that if a son was rebellious, what would they do to him? Stone him. That was the law, right? And here we see kind of a picture of that. Perhaps there's that symbolism here. You know, on Absalom's monument, and when you read this right here, isn't it kind of sad? Can you guys see how how that's wrong to build a monument to yourself? Can you guys kind of see that? This guy definitely had a problem with his pride. You know, and, and we don't have to do that. I love what one guy said. He said, both Saul and Absalom set up monuments to their memory. Did you guys know that? First Samuel fifteen twelve. Saul also set up a monument to himself. So Saul did and Absalom did. But here's the thing. What do we remember about them? What do we remember about them? They wanted to be remembered they want to be remembered for greatness. Oh, I set up a monument for myself. What do we remember about them? Right? Joab and his men built the true monument, and that is a heap of stones over the dead of a proud, over the dead body of a proud rebel. Listen to this: the life you live is the monument you build, and ultimately, the truth will come out. You don't have to build a monument to yourself. And, you know, we don't have to worry about, oh, what will my legacy be? What will they say at my funeral when I die as much? All we got to do is, is live the life. And if we live the life, I'll tell you what, God will take care of it. Absalom had three sons. They now died. No one was now able to carry on his name. And it's just a terrible way to see the man who had so much potential dying in such a way. And so what ends up happening, read in verse 19, Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, notice what he says right here, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran, and Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, Why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? But whatever happens, he said, Let me run. And so he said to him, Okay, go ahead, run. And then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now, you know, Ahimaaz, he's a son of a priest. Uh, well, the Cushite, we don't know much about him. Some say he was probably one of uh, Joab's servants. Now, the problem is, I think Joab is thinking in his heart, I don't know how David's going to react. When he finds out that his son is dead, I have a feeling that he might kill the messenger. Especially if that messenger doesn't say it just the right way. Don't you think? You remember when David killed the guy? Oh yeah, Saul's dead and here I got, you know, and the guy that killed Ishbosheth, oh yeah, he's dead. David killed both of them. And so that's probably what he's thinking right here. We're not sure. 
And we're not really sure why Ahimaaz wanted to run. You know, some say maybe he, you know, wanted to, like, make a name for himself. Again, we're not sure. All I know is this, that sometimes, and we can kind of use this analogy, people want to be the, they want to be the messenger. And God says, no, let me choose who's going to be the messenger. It's the one who has the maturity to share this message. Not not you, Ahimaaz. I'm going to send the Cushite. But this guy says, but I want to run, I want to run. And so he runs and he outruns him. And what ends up happening in verse 24 says, Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king. And the king said, If he's alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There is another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He's a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaaz called out and said to the king, All is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And I notice right away, the king doesn't even really care too much about the war. What's his primary concern? His son. And if I could just real quick just say this again, that, that more than likely when your life comes to a close, it's not going to be about all the accomplishments or whatever, your job or, or the things that, that you're doing along those lines. I have a strange feeling it's going to be a lot more like the people, like your children. Remember that now. Here's David. It doesn't even matter about the, the war. And, and even in one sense, we're going to see it doesn't even matter about all these people, kingdom. All he's thinking about right now is his son. And I tell you what, I've been there. I'm sure a lot of you have been there. Well, right now, I don't care about anything else. Huh? Have you guys ever been there? My kids, my wife, my family. David says, what about Absalom? He asked the question, hey, you know, all these things. The king said in verse 29, is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimaaz answered when Joab sent the king's servant, and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And more than likely he lied right there, right? And so the king said, well, turn aside and stand here. And so he turned aside, stood still, and just then the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And again, the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? And so the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. He gives the message, huh? That his son had died. You know, he had to make the point, but he had to make it with tact. 
Someone has defined tact as the knack of making a point without making an enemy. And that's what this Cushite did. And so when David finds out that his son is dead, we read in verse 33 that the king was deeply moved. And that literally means in, in the Hebrew, he trembled violently. He was just almost convulsing, convulsing. And it says right here, and he went up into the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people for the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city. They were kind of ashamed as people who are ashamed and still away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, real quick, we got to close here. Um, David's had another son that died, and and if you remember, he was praying, 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 and that before he he died, and then the Lord, you know, his son died, and then after he was done, when he found out his son died, you know, he rose up and he he took a bath, he changed his clothes, he went down to the house or the tabernacle, and he worshipped, and he came back, and he said, "Hey, you guys, make me some dinner." And remember, everybody was tripping out. They're like, I don't get it. You know, before your son died, you were fasting and, and praying. And now that your son is dead, it's like you're cool. And you remember what David said? He said, it, it's simple. You know, he's not going to come back to me, but I'm going to see him again. I'm going to see him in heaven, right? But this time, he's just weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. Weeping, why? Because he knows he's not going to see him again. Because he knows that his son Absalom went to hell. I think that when you understand that, then you understand the heart of God. When it says he wept over Jerusalem. You see, that's who the Lord is. I think another thing, and I, and I just got to be, be, be honest with you, Another reason that he was weeping so deeply is because of all the regrets that he had. You know? I mean, just knowing, you know, when his son had, had died, knowing that, that he was partially responsible for this whole thing. You know? And I know we got to be careful with that, but, you know, again, I want to encourage you guys, now, before that day comes, and who knows? You know, bottom line is, your son might die tomorrow. Does your son have tomorrow guaranteed? No. Your children don't. Nobody does. And so what I would say to you, to myself, is let's get things squared away now. You know, so that when, that if that day should come, that we're not going to have any, any regrets. And that's how God wants us to live life. He does. Now, of course, it could go to the other extreme 
You know, when we when we weep and and crying is good, huh, you guys? You know, don't hold it in. You know, let loose, man. Let the tears flow because that's all part of God's healing power. Those tears are liquid prayers. And they're good. It's good to to grieve. You have to, right? Otherwise you're going to handicap yourself. But when you cry, you got to let God comfort you. And that's how we're going to close. What ends up happening is David, he wasn't going to let God comfort him. And then Joab came into the house to the king and he said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared the day that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise and go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. What does Joab do? Man, he just, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Hey Amen. You better get right. Because <laughs> your people, they fought for you. Okay, I understand you're crying, but you got to understand God will comfort you. You need to go out there. You need to just, you know, ask God for strength. And, and, and I don't know. I mean, sometimes I wonder when you guys, and I'm not, I don't want, I'm not judging anybody, okay? But sometimes you see the, the cars, and have you guys ever seen it? The, the life of their loved one that passed away, they've got the years on there. And I, whenever I see those things, I just, my heart breaks for them. And I think, I think maybe, you know, and it could be a healthy thing for maybe a, a short period of time, but I think maybe that they, they, they need hope. They need comfort. You know, they got to be careful that they don't allow that to handicap them. It becomes a wound that never gets healed. There will always be a scar, but God can comfort, right? And so that's all Joab is saying is don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it cripple you from doing what you got to do now to go forward. And, and and Joab, actually, in this case, he does the right thing. It's been said the Lord can heal a broken heart if we give him all the pieces. And that's what David needed to do right here. He needed to give God the pieces. And so thank God for Joab's intervention. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so what ends up happening? David, in verse 8, the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. And so all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. And we want to stop there tonight because that kind of finishes that portion of the story. You know, when you look at this right here, it's a lot of, a lot of lessons for us to learn. You know, I think... Like I said, I, you know, when you're going through stories like this, you're like, Lord, what are the lessons? And, and I pray that we would learn them as parents, as friends. You know, David was known, think about this, uh, for pampering his sons, being too gracious to them. But it's interesting to me that he's also described as a man after God's own heart. Let me ask you guys a question, okay? God is perfect, right? And God is amazing to us. But one thing I do know is this. 
is that he has not dealt with us according to our iniquities, huh? Isn't that what Psalm 103, 1 through 14 says? Now, I'm not saying that David was right, but all I'm saying is let's now make sure that we remember who we are in Christ. Let's make sure that as we go away from our study today, that Jesus is exalted. You guys are our Savior, our Lord. You know, it's interesting right here. David would have died for Absalom. That's what he said. David would have died for Absalom. And Jesus died for you. Jesus did die. And let's never forget that. You know, the longer I, I'm a Christian, I think the more I appreciate that. But yet, I think that here's the way it works for me. Maybe for you it's different. But you know how, have you guys ever had it where your vehicle, your car is not in alignment? Have you ever done that where you're driving and it wants to veer to one direction or the other? Have you guys ever experienced that? No? You guys have all new cars, brand new cars. I'm so jealous. <laughs> well, I remember, you know, and this happened a few times, but, you know, we're like that. We're like these cars that are always veering in the wrong direction. And for me, the wrong direction is when I, when I go away from what he's done and when I focus just all my, all my life on what I need to do. Because here's the way it works, I think, for healthy Christians. When you, when you never forget what he's done on the cross and you don't lose sight of him and you fall more in love with him, then I think that your life will be like an outflow of gratitude. And you watch the way that obedience becomes more of, a, of an outflow of love. Because really, the Bible says if you love him, you'll obey him. And that love, it just comes out. And it's so cool. The way I've seen the Holy Spirit just do amazing things in people's lives. Because if you focus on your performance... Here's what I want to promise you right now. You're going to be a frustrated Christian. Frustrated. Because not a day goes by when we don't fall short. And so let's do our best to obey Him and walk in holiness. But let's remember that that's not going to happen unless we remember. We remember Jesus. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus on him right and so let's do that Lord we thank you for Jesus just winning the battle and we see in David the compassion that you had we hope you were encouraged by this study if you have any questions please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414 remember that Jesus loves you.